0: What's in a card? That's why putting it into words can be so hard. Cards are about culture. Yeah, sure, there'll be vultures trying to make it just about capital, but there's a reason why President Biden has a Topps card on his desk right near the Capitol. That 1953 top satchel page, it was from a time where black athletes were fighting for equal wage. Cards are about community. They represent fandom and unity. Unity about a player or a team or a sport. They're even an investment option to resort for players like LeBron James, who has a few multi-million dollar rookie cards to his name. Cards are about capital. Some people might think that's impractical. But when community and capital come together, it no longer seems laughable. Capital. Community. Capital. Put your money where the movement is. It's the people that make the world go round. That make the world go round. Oh, is it the money?
1: Hey, I'm Alexis. I'm community.
0: Hey, I'm Michael. I'm Capital. So
1: something like that. We are recording. Thumbs up. President Joe Biden is a collector. He is a collector. A 1953 Topps satchel page card in the White House. How cool is that? It's pretty dope. It's pretty dope. We'll need to get him as a user on Alt one of these days. Uh, But in the meantime, still really cool to see on his desk. It's a good flex. There's something pretty cool about seeing that over his shoulder in the White House. Alts goes mainstream. Actually, that is the thing that popped in my head.
0: Alts are going mainstream. Well, I I think the other cool piece of this, one, it's obviously... This asset class is financializing, right? There are platforms like Alt or Rally and Otis who are are creating ways for people to invest in these assets. Right? Alt is enabling people to value, buy, trade, and and vault these assets. Rally and Otis are enabling people to access fractional. Pieces of a, you know, uh, of a LeBron James rookie card that might be a few million dollars, and and many people, you know, don't want to put that kind of money into a card, but they can buy five hundred dollars worth of it. Uh, So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it, which is really cool though, gets the community side actually, and and I think gets to what Biden did is that cards as a cultural representation. I mean, there's got to be a reason behind why why President Biden had
1: that card in the White House.
0: He could pick any card, yeah. but I wonder why he picked that card.
1: We got to find out. I don't know enough about baseball history. Um, Satchel Page definitely played in the Negro Leagues. Yeah, okay, hold on. So there's... Oh, okay, all right. I mean, five-decade-long career? Good Lord. Also in the National Basketball Hall of Fame. I mean, he certainly transcended the sport in terms of entering the popular culture. And... uh Oh yeah, he 's an o g okay, wait so i'm I'm reading the Wikipedia page right now. Holy shit, he played everywhere. I think he had a pretty long career too, Wow, yeah, multiple decades is no joke and then in forty eight started playing in the major leagues with the Indians on his forty second birthday. Paige signed <laughs> his first major league contract. Wow. When Tom oh, he's,
0: winning Super Bowls, he's starting in the in the Major League Baseball League. Okay. All right. So this is <laughs> this go. is
1: why I'm sure this is the symbolism, right? So Biden, not a young fella, uh, but he's saying, look, he's showing up here. Uh wow, Paige was the oldest man ever to debut in the major leagues at 42 years old and two days. Wow. <laughs> That's dope.
0: So what do you make of all this when it comes to like the power of cards as a cultural representation? Because I think that actually turns investing on its head in many ways, right? Like if you're able to invest in something you love, or are really
1: interested in? Doesn't that change the way people think about investing? Oh yeah, I mean it creates entirely new dynamics around I think investing strategies and lots of things because people are deciding to hold. You know, no one holds a stock. Few people hold stock because of like some nostalgic value, and and so I think that hopefully means. I mean, okay, it could also mean more volatility because some some cards will be very like sort of callously bought and sold. Uh, but I think others will will have a kind of irrational stickiness or an irrational market value just based on, on nostalgia or sentimentality or a singular moment, right? There are, you know, using athletes in particular, there are athletes who have really underwhelming careers but have really special moments in time where there's a single play or a single night or a single whatever that become very symbolic for people. My Sean Taylor rookie card. I mean, he did have an amazing career that was cut short. But like that is an irrational hodl uh for me because I'm like I just spiritually connect so much with the player and that card, like I'll just never sell it. I don't care what I get offered. And and there's no I don't feel that way about some Google stock. Like, yeah, I'm going to hold it because I know it's going to keep making me money. But like at some point, I'm going to be like, yeah, fine, I'll sell it and, you know, get some more Sean Taylor memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm with you on that. He he was one of my favorite
0: players too. So I a th- th- that's legends. a card I would definitely hold. But that that does get to the power of the crowd, right? I mean, the, the power of the crowd in investing. I mean, if... Many people, and I'm sure the, the Legion of Washington football fans feel very similarly about Sean Taylor as you did. So they may also hold and now you know obviously it depends on the scarcity of that card and there there's a number of factors as to whether or not it would be worth a certain amount and, and you know, kind of all of those things. But but there is really the power of the crowd when it comes to investing into assets like cards, where if a lot of people, to your point, really believe in this player. With this particular asset and then there's scarcity value of that asset it's going to make the
1: price go up yeah facts facts so i'm curious to watch this play out and obviously it's spanning not just trading cards but like graded comics video games all kinds of memorabilia it's it's heating up so wait was that was that what was on the agenda today or did this was just coincidentally Biden I, I, baseball saw that cards. Tweet,
0: I saw that tweet last night that, that joe joe is into or sorry i should say president biden president biden. biden's he's he's into the hobby so yeah. I, I think we have to we have to ask him what his favorite card is but i also have to ask you we'll get what's, him your, on here. what's your favorite we'll get him card here.
1: no i want to ask you what's your favorite card
0: my favorite card so it's got to be it's it's an alex smith one of one wow one uh. of one NFL logo with the national NFL logo autographed. So it's and it's a one of one. There's only one. And of you these.
1: have it handy. Are you sending it to go get graded? Of course I
0: am. This is this is absolutely going to the alt vault. I think that's actually part of the magic of alt too. Is because I I mainly do all my transactions on alt at this point because you know it's it, click, it, it's click. just easier. It's literally T plus zero settlement. Literally, there's instantaneous settlement. Wait, from what is T
1: plus zero time? Plus zero. Time does plus mean? zero.
0: So in financial services and, and in w- with all sorts of assets basically, mm. there's usually a time to settle the trade. And mm. that time is not generally instantaneous, but because the alt because alt has the card in the vault from the seller, you can literally transfer it to the buyer's mm. vault. Their their, there's their little vault. Exactly. Instantaneously. So I think that's actually, they're removing a huge friction in the marketplace. Because when I buy cards on eBay, as do many people, or people are buying and selling on Instagram, then it can take weeks to receive the card in the mail. I've waited three weeks for a card in the mail. And if if it's a good card, you get get a little worried about that, right? So I think from that perspective, alts actually serving a really important function in the market to make things a lot more efficient and to to financialize this space, right? Because if you have T plus zero settlement, same with with crypto, right? I mean, the second that you buy on Coinbase, you are in quote-unquote possession of that crypto asset. Mm. Now, Coinbase is the one holding it in custody for you, but you're you're the owner of that asset. And Alt is doing the same in the cards. The reason why I love this card... Because after what Alex Smith did this year, it, it was with his, for those who don't know, he li- literally almost died uh, yeah. after breaking his yeah. leg. He A got horrific an infection, flesh eating, um, bacteria infection, and and had to either have his leg uh, be amputated and, and came very close to death. And then two years later, he's back on the field uh, leading the Washington football team to the playoffs, which is just an incredible story of perseverance So yeah. And I mean multiple surgeries. My favorite.
1: Multiple surgeries. I mean, his his leg was broken quite badly. And I don't know how it was in the teens of surgeries surgeries. Seventeen surgeries to treat. My God. I mean, that's horrific. And and such a family dude and such a trooper and such an inspiration to everyone on, on the team. I mean, everyone in the league, let's be honest.
0: The, he won the Comeback Player of the Year Award, which in, in my view so. and,
1: and probably many others, the, the award should probably be named after him at this point. You know what? I like I like this. I'm ready. So there's going to be some, I, I have a feeling there's going to be some uh, Hall of Fame ballot petitioning coming from you. Is that right? <laughs> he, hey, if I ever had a vote for the Hall of Fame, yeah. he, he,
0: would, he would absolutely be in start, it. We'll start <laughs> it running up votes so. here. It gets to an interesting point though which is that like you know the Hall of Fame is usually about on the field performance and skill and and yes that's mm-hmm. absolutely a part of this but I think w- one of the th- topics that we talk about a lot here which is how things that happen in one arena are also happening in another arena and they matter mm-hmm. too I think that's the case with cards it's the case with any sort of asset that you know has cultural value representation but it's not just what you do on the field, it's what you do off the field and the cultural representation of that. And I think, I mean, what he did mentally to get back on the field is that attitude, not a Hall of Fame attitude.
1: It was like a Hall of Fame attitude. There was someone, didn't someone write an op-ed recently in the Washington Post making the case? Mm Mm-hmm. Was that you under a pseudonym? (laughs) I was either ghostwriter? No. Yeah. All right.
0: (laughs) There was. but I, uh, I think he got a point, man.
1: Certainly make the case for it.
0: But but it shows like what you do off the field matters mm. just as much as what you do on the field. I mean, if, if we think of cards as the the monetary representation or monetary value of a player, mm-hmm. then I mean, what they do off the field can impact the value of that card. I mean, Mm. Michael Jordan, when he did The Last Dance, that documentary, the value of his cards went up dramatically, right? And that's because of what he did off the field. And I'm sure the same will happen with stars like LeBron or... Space Jam. Yeah, exactly, right? So, I mean, I think when people do things off the field, and and it can be in the negative sense, too. I mean, if somebody has an off-the-field indiscretion that may
1: very well impact the value of their cards. And maybe it should, right? That's true. It's very true. And that, it ties in, you know, there is, there's always been that speculation on the community side around the sort of prospects and the future of of all this stuff, whether it's investments or uh, a company. And you see these extreme versions. We talked about Dogecoin uh, last time, but there is, there's something really interesting when you bring in the intersection of sports because it is just the right amount of math, right? Because you have you know rich statistics and like a culture of of it, um, combined with the kind of you know drinking a beer, arguing your point, irrational discourse and and then the fierce tribalism that comes with which team you grew up with and you support, and then in an age where free agency is dictating totally new trends, and fantasy sports has people just rewired when it comes to allegiance. It's wild, man, but it's like the perfect breeding ground for that intersection of community and capital. Not to mention the artistry of the damn things. Mm-hmm. They just look nice. Which is, to your point, another reason why people may want to actually
0: buy and hold these assets is because, yeah, it, I mean, in some ways, how different is this from fine art?
1: Yeah, oh, it's not. It's just our generation's, 100%. I think this is our generation's art. It would have been maybe a Warhol, whatever pop art was a couple of, I guess, a generation or two ago. That is, that's what this one is. I mean, street art has a role in it. Uh, there's, there's all these different bottom-up, organic, popular art movements now that are coming up from the people. It's just genuinely what people want what they want to collect, what they want to look at.
0: Well, it's what people want. And I wonder how much room there is for assets that people care about or are interested in to be the vehicle in which people learn about financial literacy. I mean, Oof, don't you I think you'd so. rather spend more time like researching and understanding why a card has certain value than to your point, like why a stock of X, Y, Z company does?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that's, I hope this is a gateway to get a whole generation of youth and adults, but especially youth interested in financial literacy and learning about this because it's a way more interesting way. Oh, 100%. It's a way more interesting way because it's relatable, it's cultural, it's like something kids actually might feel some interest in talking about and learning about. So if you're a traditional financial institution, how do you compete with that? Uh, Acquire people who are doing it better. I, I just... I'm very cynical when it comes to any incumbent, not just financial institutions, but any incumbent to innovate. It's really, really hard. And, and it's funny, like, what's a company we think of was being really innovative? Google. You think it was being really innovative. And there was a... I think it was a conversation between Peter Thiel and Eric Schmidt 10 years ago that actually aged really well for... Peter, which is not something I can always say about things that Peter Thiel <laughs> has done or said. But this thing actually did, and he basically was like, Google is just a a holding company. Like Google is a search company that generates tons of revenue that has just run out of places to put it. Like they just don't know what to do with this capital anymore. And they're not innovating. They can't innovate fast enough. And they're just sitting on a well of dollars that, that just keeps spilling out more and more money. And I think by and large, it's absolutely true, and you know credit to a company like Amazon, which has managed to both get to absurd scale, but always have a culture of of innovation and shipping and improvement. But uh, they're pretty rare. They're pretty rare, and and I actually think most businesses end up just going obsolete or acquiring in order to keep up with innovation. So I'm not just picking on your finance companies. I <laughs> well, mean, a little it's, it's bit. funny.
0: It's funny you say that. So it was slightly. Rhetorical question, in the sense that I, I also uh, agree with you that it, it will be very hard for incumbents to figure this out. But but it also shows that there's now wh- whether it's investing or other sorts of or, uh, kind of anything related. It could be it could be for video games. It could be for cr- creating enabling people to access all sorts of technology. Newer players are providing a way for younger people to do things in ways that that the incumbents just can 't um, but when it comes to things like investing i I do think we are at a we are at a seminal moment for younger people to learn about investing in new and different ways. you see I mean just this week alone there were there were, Two different digital banks focused on teens. One of which, Greenlight, got funded by Andreessen, multi-billion-dollar valuation. Uh, Current actually started there. That also actually got funded by Andreessen. They're, they're not as focused on on the teen banking segment, but there are a few players going after kids. Um, so I think like people are realizing how do you get younger people involved in financial services. But I, like you, think that it's going to be around where people are interested in. I mean, you and I, we we collected cards as a kid and we you know we we would look at the values of these cards we'd go to in card the shops guide. We'd, we yeah. yeah i mean and yet we're not taught financial literacy in class but we could probably learn a lot about how to do? How to how to think about what an asset is? How to how to value that asset? How to trade that asset? And mm. you know, yes, there's differences between cards and stocks for sure. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that a card's a productive asset. So there's no cash flow, mm. you know. There's no there's no cash flow tied to it like there is with a company. But there is some value if you if there's a way that you could ever create a tie between the player's output and what they do both on and off the field. And then tie that to the value of the card. You're almost creating a stock market of sports or of a player, which is kind of cool.
1: I mean, that is definitely, we're, we're absolutely trying to create a, a platform on alt where it's as easy to buy and sell these cards as it is stocks. And I do think in the new generation of athlete recognizes that owning their cards is a way to invest in themselves. And there's that great clip of LeBron after the finals being asked about the price of his card. And we'll, we'll play that clip here. Uh, <laughs> and it was a seminal moment for me. Now, it's it also worth noting that uh, the alt fund actually <laughs> bought that card.
0: <laughs> well, and then how much did this, how much did a LeBron James card that's not graded as high as the one that alt Five
1: Think five x. It's worth five million. Five point two million. It was sold for five point two million. million this week. I mean, you you see this right? That was and I, it's funny. I actually sent a note to MAV and I was like, I told you, man. Like you gotta listen to me. Get as many of these things as you can. And I like the fact that as players, especially the the sort of the, the goat tier players, are thinking about this and investing in this asset class, the new generation of digital natives all, I think, fundamentally understand it. They're in the culture. You see players posting photos of their cards and all this stuff. And it's the way LeBron talked about it, right? He had some in the safe and he knew that his family was going to be good. It embodies this idea that through trading cards and through what's becoming a more and more efficient marketplace, eventually a kind of stock market for trading cards, for athletes, for culture creators, um, you're going to have a way to literally invest in yourself and and that is something that's appealing to everyone, but especially these athletes who are realizing they have more and more leverage in this new world thanks to the internet and social media. And they have
0: more following than... Mm. Many corporations. LeBron, I think what is it? Seventy seven, seventy-eight million Instagram followers. R- Russell Wilson has as many Instagram and Twitter followers as, as Amazon and Microsoft. Uh, I'm, pre- I'm pretty I'm yeah, pretty sure that's real. you know people know people know who those two Seattle companies are, but they also know who <laughs> Russell Wilson is.
1: <laughs> right. So and that's, that, that's and that's powerful. Yeah. Right? I mean, Massive. what does that
0: do for the the pull and power that these
1: athletes have, do you think? And then how does that tie to something like sports cards? I think, you know, we're having the NFL draft. We just had the NFL draft. I don't know what's happening in America right now. I'm in France. But (laughs) there's an NFL draft thing going on. And, you know, something like draft day is going to come to be seen as a moment where I think that's when... I don't know what the point is. Whenever a college athlete is eligible to get a trading card, (laughs) will be a similar kind of moment. And I think we'll see a day where... I mean, players, they're gonna want to in like I said, invest in themselves. We're gonna see their 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 friends, their family members buying their cards as well, because it's like a way to buy the stock early. Now, some some players will obviously come out the gate like Zion super hyped, but they're the they're the outliers. Um, and you're gonna see this new era where You know, trading cards are the stock, this physical, beautiful asset that is uh, almost a sign of like, I've made it, right? Kind of like an IPO is for a startup. As much as we grudgingly don't want to (laughs) acknowledge that an IPO is still or being publicly traded is a very important milestone for a startup, um, it is. And, you know, all the Silicon Valley grumbles would be like, oh, we don't need finance, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, it's a really special moment. And, and I think we're going to see trading cards looked at as the same way.
0: On that point, do you think that if we start to see financialization of sports cards and, and the value of those cards be tied to the player both on and off the field, do you think it gives the player a feeling of they need to have more responsibility for their actions because there could be repercussions in terms of yeah. how their how the how their cards are valued and then how they may be perceived in the broader
1: market a little bit. And I only say a little bit because I think of all the CEOs who still do awful shit even when they're CEOs of publicly traded companies. Like it was the was it a McDonald's executive who was hooking up with employees? <laughs> it was. And like I mean yeah. so so it, it look it's not let's let's be real it's not going to eliminate it, but um, I think it's going to trend in a better direction, for sure. And and I do think what is certain right now, for the new generation athlete, they know that being an athlete is just part of their job. They know that that's, that's what butters their bread, but they have to be multifaceted in the same way that a musician today, an artist today knows that they're not just making music, they're not just creating art, they're also building a community. They're already, they're also maybe building a merch line. They're also maybe right, they're wearing so many different hats to their business. Athletes are gonna be the exact same way. They need to think of themselves as creators first, not just an athlete. And and that's more revenue streams. That's more leverage. Do athletes think of themselves like that now? Do you think we're at that point? Some. Uh, I'll give you a really good example. My buddy uh, Sissipas. Um, so Stephanos is a, a Greek a tennis player. He's a fantastic, a prolific YouTuber. You should all subscribe to his YouTube channel. He makes his own. He edits his own videos. It's a great vlog of like life on the road, being a professional tennis player. And he's damn good. I mean, he's he's super young, and he's already. I mean, he's already winning titles, and and quite quite good. We gonna talk at all about tennis because I don't know. Jack, all about tennis. Um, we talk <laughs> about investing. We talk about crypto. We talk about a couple of businesses he wants to launch. We talk about his YouTube channel. We talk about his community. Like he's already, I don't know how we can Google holidays. It's like 21 maybe, but he's already thinking not just about what he does on the, the tennis court, which occupies a vast majority of his time, but what else he's doing and the community he's building, the brands he's associated with. That doesn't even include his tennis partnerships or his tennis brand deals, right? These are all separate. and And I think it's going to be a given in another five years for everyone to be thinking that way.
0: Agree with you. However, when, and, and I'm, I'm a huge me, fan of the draft and I, I will read through scouting reports of players. And really? I, I've done this since I was a wow. kid. Like I would read the book like front to back and will know like as much as I can about a player, but whenever players usually drop, you help particularly a scout, if they're really talented, you gotta help a
1: scout in angel city.
0: Sure, <laughs> I, I'm I'm ready, man. Whenever you want, but uh, it's it's very much like VC. Actually, I I actually think of being a VC in some ways like being a scout uh, because you are looking for undiscovered talent and you have to look for all sorts of things. And in, in that respect, kind of very similar. But in the NFL draft, and we, we saw it t- t- last night with with some players who I think were supremely talented but have fallen for various reasons. But oftentimes, when supremely talented players fall. They're knocked back on the draft boards for reasons that coaches often say, oh, you know, they have too many outside interests or they care about other things other than other than football. And exactly. And it will in in a world where people now are creators first and you can build a brand, you can monetize in so many different ways. And sports careers are so short. NFL stands for not for long. Average career is like sub three three years? years right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like in that context, how do coaches and teams and owners begin to operate in a world where balance of power has shifted to the players and mm-hmm. players should be able to monetize in all
1: sorts of ways because these careers are so short. I do think, I think it's a cop-out answer sometimes for owners and remember or those owners, those coaches, they're all old, right? They're all pre-digital native. They have no concept of any of this stuff. When, you have someone winning a Super Bowl as a head coach who grew up, who's a digital native, this will all be moot. And so in the meantime, there's going to be this weird friction. Uh, but I do think you just made a really great case for why the NCAA should let players be able to make money from name and likeness and, and more because it's exercising those muscles while they're still in college um, so that they're not especially if they're in the NFL, they're going to have, they're even lucky enough to make it into the NFL and talented enough to make the NFL. They've only got three years on average, like you said. And it's going to be important to lay that foundation for all those different disciplines because having that community, investing in that community while you're still in college, uh, even if you have a tenure that's only three years is the same community that's going to help you with whatever that next career is whether it is in broadcasting or whether it is in coaching or whether it's totally unrelated, whether it's just just going to collect Pokemon cards the rest of your life and start a vlog. Like that is what I would encourage. If my daughter is sitting here as a teenager thinking about her sports career, part of the conversation we would have, I'm not setting any expectations here, but part of the conversation I'll have with any family friend who is asking for the advice is you have to build that multifaceted sort of, uh, self. You have to be a creator in some form or another. Even if it's just tweeting every now and then, it's it's almost requisite now uh, because it gives you options. It gives you optionality on top of your primary focus. I mean, venture capitalists should do the same too.
0: Do you think you can achieve greatness while focusing on multiple things though?
1: Yes, 100%. LeBron's doing it. I And I know I can even speak to... I don't remember this because I wasn't around for it. I've since seen, you know, earlier in my wife's career, there was uh, criticism in press for like spending time doing fashion or spending time doing entertainment stuff. And didn't stop her from being the goat. I mean, I mm-hmm. think, I, I do think what they're saying, when the coach in the draft is like, oh, he's got too many outs, I think he's not focused on football. They're really saying he doesn't have, we think he doesn't have the work ethic to do what it takes in the NFL. And that's different from, we don't like the fact that he has a popular YouTube channel. Because chances are, and this is probably the other part, to do that successfully, like for for Sissy Paz to do what he does, actually takes a ton of the same muscles, just mentally, around focus and persistence. And like being a creator is a hard fucking job. Well, the other thing too, and
0: maybe there's a way over time to tie this to success and 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 a positive aspect of this which is players whether they're stars on the field or not but players who have other interests that bring in large fans and followings and communities sports are business. What if that actually, what if that starts to be looked at in a positive light and it actually brings more fans in for merch sales, for other ways of monetization, not just for the player, but for the team. Then I, if, I wonder how that manifests itself because if you turn it on its head, right? Cause it seems like a convenient excuse, right? It's like, oh, you know, when, when a player doesn't play well, it's like, oh, they have too many outside interests. They're focused on things off the field. They're doing too many commercials. They don't play well. That's just a convenient excuse because there are tons of great players who achieve greatness on the field or on the court and then also do a lot of things off the field. It's just the moment that they don't succeed or falter a bit is when people start to say, oh, well, they can't do this. And and it's in some senses, it feels very unfair because, again, why shouldn't they be able to monetize in every which way possible while they are in the in the prime of their career? Yeah, let
1: them. We do it. Venture capitalists. How much time do we spend on Twitter? It's good for our work. Good for our business. Hopefully this is still enough time to give the fans what they want. Is this some good meat on that good meat on that plate? Oh, this is this is perfect. Okay. This is this perfect right. bite size,
0: bite-sized thirty-four minute, thirty-four minute podcast. You know, Chris edits this thing
1: too, right? He does. So, you know, he 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 keeps he's got a heavy hand with his edits. He makes us sound really smart.